Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Howard David Live. We'll take a bite of the Big Apple with uh, sports anchor at Channel 2 in New York. He's Otis Livingston. Otis, I, I noticed on Facebook you put a lot of pictures of your family. I saw pictures you put on, a Mother's Day picture. Uh, you're really into your family. I really appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, it's the... Oh, man, that's just... Uh, that's who I am. You know what I mean? That's my backbone. That's That's what I... Why I do what I do, you know what I mean. Uh, obviously, I'm driven to to do uh, the job that I do, but I, I, you know it's because of them. You know what I mean? Because they they inspire me as well. You know, some of the things I, I post about their accomplishments, and it's not to brag or anything like that. It's just to acknowledge. You know what I mean? I grew up, you know, uh, pretty much without a father, so I vowed to myself that my kids would not go a day without knowing that their dad is proud of them. You know, and that. I want them to just just be secure in who they are, and and know that I'm watching, you know, and because uh, I think that means the world. No, I I, I never thought you were bragging. Uh, as a matter of fact, I can identify with a lot of what you are and who you are. Uh, that's why I've uh, I really appreciate your work. But aside from that, more the man than the work. Uh, it's appreciate um, you, man. yeah. I mean, that's uh, that's what it's all about, you know. Yeah. Yeah, when you get that, when you get right down to it, you know that that's because I, I you know, the, these this pandemic and, and and everything I think has given a lot of people uh, perspective, you know. And a lot of times when when I was working from home, that's all I had was my family. You know, you realize that when it comes right down to it, that's who you have. Friends come and go. You know, there there's some friends that you have that will be lifelong friends, but as far as like who. Go to the wall for you and stuff like that. It's usually your family, you know. Uh, we have some sketchy people in our family too that may not. <laughs> yeah. But but you know, for the most part, your kids, your wife, your husband, or whatever. You know what I mean? Those are those are the ones that are that are going to usually be there for you, taking pin. Yeah, and then uh, you know you have a burden. You uh you know you anchor the sports in the number one market in the country, and with that comes a heavy burden. You're not covering one or two teams or even three teams you're covering a whole city that has two baseball teams three hockey teams two football teams uh two basketball teams uh, and with that, uh, that that's a heavy burden yeah we have we have 
challenges too, you know, that we dabble in. But for the most part, yeah, those are the uh, the main stories. Those are the ones that get the most time. The, the professional teams, the ups and the downs, the successes, the failures. Um, it's fun though, man. It really is because uh, you know you you would be watching sports anyway. You know what I mean? Regardless if it was your job or not, it would it would play uh, a big part in your life. So to be able to do that for a career and and to be around some of these great athletes, great coaches, other media members like yourself, you know, uh, it, it creates a lot of great relationships and memories, you know, and I, I, feel my, I feel I'm blessed and I'm grateful for the opportunity to do it every day. We have uh, two New York teams, two L.A. teams in baseball that are all leading their respective divisions. That doesn't happen very often. Yankees off to, they have the best record in baseball, off to a great start. Watching yesterday, watching Nestor Cortez, and I mean, here's a guy that proves that you don't need a 95 mile an hour fastball. Uh, he's he's yeah. got he's got the cutter. He's, he's he, he does tricks with the baseball and strikes out a fair amount of people. Yesterday, he went his longest that he has gone this year, seven and a third, and carried a, a no hitter into the eighth inning. Uh, and, and I've always always uh, amused at when I listen to broadcasters kind of stay away from saying there's a no-hitter going on. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. We got that kind of power, man. We can jinx it if we, if we bring it up, you know? The guys in the dugout don't want to talk to the to the pitchers, uh, you know. But I heard a lot of pitchers, you know, they like to, you know, still talk and have fun on, in, in the dugout, you know, kind of lighten up the mood a little bit because it's very serious, obviously, but it's not life and death. But, you know, I, it's it's interesting that, that a lot of announcers say that, you know, or don't say that, actually, uh, until it's really, really late in the game. But, you know, it's been fun watching Nestor Cortez, Nasty Nestor, as we call him, you know. And like you said, he's just a crafty pitcher. You know, he's fun to watch. Uh, I think he had 11 Ks yesterday. Yep. You know, that's, that's huge. And he got himself, as he was tiring later on, you, you saw he still was able to get out of those jams, you know, and get out of those little situations that he was in. So... You know, I think a lot of people are waiting for the other shoe to drop with him, you know, where it's like, you know, Cinderella clock strikes midnight and, and he's not going to be as good. But I'm, I'm rooting for him. I'm really pulling for him to continue the success uh, and just be a, a key part of that rotation. Taking a bite of the Big Apple with Otis Livingston of Channel 2. Um, he goes, I mentioned his longest yesterday. The Yankees have now won six straight series. Uh, which is uh, impressive. And we don't judge the early stages. I mean, we're still in May. There's a lot of baseball still to be played. But you look across the, across uh, to Queens, and the Mets have the best record in the National League East, uh, which is a very competitive division. They're playing a lot of NL East teams right now. Uh, we'll see how that all shakes out. But I think a lot of eyes are on Buck Showalter, how he's going to do with the Mets. This was uh, not because of their record. But this was a no-brainer hire. Yeah, it certainly was. And, you know, I think the best part about him was that he gave them instant credibility. And I think it, 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 his hire kind of got everybody's attention as far as in the organization. You know, the players, they're going to come to, to, to spring training, even though it was abbreviated. They're going to come with excitement and, and exuberant, exuberance, you know, kind of like when you go meet Yoda. You know, you're going to get that wisdom, you know, the old school mentality that still translates to good baseball now. You know, that's I, I feel like that was I, I know as a as a part of the media, that's what I 
went into tra- uh, spring training past and, and hoping for and looking for, and I think it's carried over into the season. He's got that that you know seemingly southern charm or whatever it is that he has, like your grandfather, you know, and the way he talks, the way he imparts wisdom without beating you over the head with it. Um, and, I, and I'm sure that those guys right now, they are loving it, you know, not just the winning part, but being a part of an organization that has that type of leadership. Now, there's going to be some times where he's going to have to correct some of the guys, you know, for, for doing something that, that's against uh, unwritten rules or, or whatever, you know, violation of team, you know, hustle or whatever it is. And I think that that respect will carry on through that too. You know what I mean? I think those guys will, will love that uh, and, and will, will adhere to his teachings. Uh, the Rangers now are in deep trouble. Uh, down three Ooh. games to one to Pittsburgh. They haven't found the answer to Sidney Crosby. But then again, who does? <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. he's, he's one of the premier players in the National Hockey League. Igor Sheskerson uh, has had a rough time in the net. Uh, he's given up. I mean, he, he's been pulled twice in a row now. Rangers have given yeah. up seven goals in the last two games. Look, I've been a Ranger fan since I'm a kid. I remember yeah. going to the old garden, taking the subway from Brooklyn with my friends, and for half a buck we'd sit way up in the nosebleed section. But, <laughs> you know, that's how that's the great part of watching hockey from up there. Yeah, you can see everything work out. I mean, I, I, I remember when I first started getting into hockey, and I know it was a gimmick and everything, but watching it on TV – when when the when Fox had that uh, puck that lit up, yep. that helped me a lot because the action is so fast and I don't know where to puck. You know what I mean? It's it's these wrist shots, these slap shots. They're they're going so fast, but you know, for for people who uh, are interested in hockey, being there is even better. That's a that's a great experience, and I'm sure that kind of shaped your childhood. You know, uh, going to those games and and being able to watch them. But you know, right now. Shesterkin is a likely Vesna winner, and he's getting rocked right now. He's got to get some help somehow. Uh, I think a lot there's a lot of, of uh, on defense that he could be helped by his teammates. Um, he had what 79 saves in, in, in that one uh, triple overtime game. Hmm. I mean that that's a lot. <laughs> that's yeah. a lot, you yeah. know. And they and they lost in triple overtime. They needed one goal, somebody to help them out, you know. Um, so, yeah, it, it's dire straits right now. It looks like Pittsburgh is clicking on all cylinders. You know, when they scored, or when, when the Rangers scored early last night, I thought, okay, okay, here we go, here we go. But hockey is such a, it, it's such a quick game. Before you looked up, it was 6-1. Like, yeah. whoa, they just, the onslaught was crazy, yeah. you know. But it just seems like the Pittsburgh team is going to be very hard to beat, no matter if it's the Rangers or whoever they play. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And and as a television guy, I mean, it's a bad game for television because it's hard to follow the puck. You made a mention of the fact that they had that Fox had that had the puck lit up to where you could actually yeah. follow it. But I mean, right. you go to a game; it's such a different game when you go to it as opposed to watching it on television. Yeah, it definitely is. And you and you can also feel the electricity. You can feel the excitement on the power play or, you know, whatever, you know what I mean? It's, it's, or, or after a, a dust dump, you know, it's just, uh, when they play welcome to the jungle, you know, uh, at, at all the different arenas, it's, it's, it's so much excitement and the action. I mean, I, I really got into it when I, um, I mean, growing up in Los Angeles, we had the Kings and, and it was kind of on a periphery because I was a Laker fan. You know what I mean? That was and a Dodger fan. So those two sports kind of took up all my time, but, uh, when 
I was in Philly working, and Eric Lindros and, and, and uh, Hextall, uh, Gar Snow, um, all those guys were down there. You know that that was when I really got into it uh, because it was obviously my profession, and so I would go to their practices in Voorhees just to see the the athleticism, the endurance, uh, the skill that it takes to play hockey. It's incredible. It's an incredible sport. There's no doubt. He's Otis Livingston of Channel 2. Um, even though it's in the off season, the Jets and Giants getting a lot of notoriety because of the draft. Uh, Thibodeau drafted by the Giants, getting a lot of notice. He wanted to wear his old college number, so he got it, uh, number five. Uh, but he's the kind of a guy that uh, that's going to get a lot of attention. He's a very outward guy, but uh, you know he's 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 one of those guys that fans will gravitate to. Yeah, he definitely will, and, and he has that kind of magnetic magnetic personality. You know, um, I unfortunately wasn't able to go to the draft last week, but the guy uh, the guy that I worked with was telling me just how much. Uh, he's going to heat up New York, you know, and they were, and, it, and it's funny, uh, he and, and a lot of the other uh, draftees uh, spoke about wanting to be in New York, you know, and obviously it's because it's the biggest media uh, market in the country, but that, that just shows you too that they're, they're very interested in their brand, and this is not for everyone. Some of them wish it and don't live up to it, um, but I think Thibodeau is going to come here and have have a successful career you know he seems like the type of guy that you know and just like sauce Gardner for the jets i think you know he's made for this type of place this type of market this uh media scrutiny that uh that they're gonna be under you know obviously we're gonna tell it like it is but initial indications and college production and, and just kind of projections you feel really good about this draft for, for both of the teams and i mean when was the last time you were able to say that a uh, long time uh, where people, you know, people would always go to the draft and boo the Jets picks because they really weren't very good to their satisfaction. But, you know, uh, Joe Douglas stepped into the draft with the idea we're going to surround Zach Wilson with more talent. And not only that, the way I understand it, Zach Wilson has come in bulked up uh, a little bit bigger without affecting his throwing at all. But you, I just took a look at their depth chart as of today, and it doesn't mean anything, but to notice that there's five or six new faces that are listed in the number one spot in the various. I mean, you mentioned Sauce. He's listed yeah. as, a, as a number one cornerback. Um, yeah. uh, you got uh, Jermaine Johnson listed as a right defensive end on the opposite side of Carl Lawson. You got yeah. uh, um, Brees Hall is listed as the number one running back ahead of Michael Carter. So it's kind of strange, but there's there's a lot of talent out there. They're young and yep. we can never tell how successful the draft is for another year or two. Yeah, and, and, but here's the good part about that, too, is that you talk about Michael Carter. So now if that happens, the way the projections are, the depth chart, he got a lot of great experience last year. Yep. So his role uh, as a backup or whatever you want to call him, you know, uh, he's going to probably still play a major role on the team, and he's had all that rookie year experience. You know, and so a lot of the young guys that got experience, yeah, they may be pushed back a, a spot or something like that, get fewer reps. But, man, that experience that they had last year could really prove to be invaluable to this team going forward. Carl Lawson, remember a year ago, you know, last training camp, uh, he was getting rave reviews every day. 
I mean, we thought he was going to be out there wrecking people before his injury. So if he can come back and he can be that type of guy that he that, that everyone was talking about in training camp, I mean, that just makes this defense even better than it was last year. You know, it improves them. Not to say that they were great last year, but putting him in there, you know, you got Quentin Williams, you got Quincy Williams, you got, you know, uh, C.J. Mosley, you got all these guys that are going to be there. Jermaine Johnson, like you said, if he can come in and, and do his thing, you know, man, that's going to be uh, a, a formidable defense, and it's all about execution. That's what I heard in every press co- uh, post-game interview that I did. It's about guys taking care of their own business, not trying to do too much, stepping out of the philosophy, stepping out of the scheme, and just being one unit because if 10 guys are doing their job and one isn't, you can give them a touchdown. Well, you look at this wide receiver room that they've got right now. Uh, they drafted uh, you know, the, the kid from Ohio State, the Garrett Wilson. Wilson. Uh, yep. You know, you've already got Elijah Moore, Corey Davis, um, you know, Braxton Berrios, they re-signed two new yep. tight ends in Uzoma and Conklin. So the offense has got weapons now that they didn't have a year ago. Yeah, exactly. You know, now you got guys that have that experience. It's kind of like what I was talking about on the side of the ball. Um, you know, guys that have experience, you know, I'm glad they brought that Braxton back. I, I felt like he deserved what he uh, was uh, getting for uh, – for his play for last year, I thought he should have been rewarded, you know, and he's happy here, you know, obviously, New York is where he wants to be and where he's kind of, they made his all pro or pro bowl, whatever it was that he was last year. So, uh, this is going to, I don't know, it's going to be a, an interesting season for the Jets. Now it's all about Zach Wilson maturing, Zach yep. Wilson uh, taking that next step, because you're right, Joe Douglas went in there. And he said that he was going to help, you know, surround him with some talent. You know, that also includes shoring up the defense to give him more opportunities, you know, sure. um, with the football. He's Otis Livingston. We're taking a bite of the Big Apple with Otis. The Giants cut quarterback James Bradbury. No surprise. This was strictly a cap move to uh, give them $10 million more in cap space. Unfortunately, I'm surprised they didn't try to rework the deal. And maybe Bradbury didn't want to do that. Yeah, that's possible. You know, we haven't heard anything about that, so we don't we don't really know if that if that was the case. But that's a possibility. Um, I know they wanted to trade him, you know, uh, before possibly get some picks or something like that, but uh, weren't able to get really any takers, so they had to release him. Uh, very, you know, a valuable part of the team. But you know, it shows you that these guys are, are different in their de- in the decision making process. You know, with Joe Shane. Dayball, you know, it's a new regime over there. So uh, it's interesting going forward. I, I, you know, for the first time in a long time, I feel confident in both front offices and the decisions that they're going to mm-hmm. make, you know. And, and then, uh, obviously, I have not – none of us have seen Brian Dayball as a head coach. I haven't taken the field yet for, in that role. But, you know, because of what he was able to do in, in – Yeah, I would agree. Before I let you go, I heard something today. I want your opinion. Somebody said that the Lakers should trade Anthony Davis to the Nets for Kyrie Irving. If the Lakers, if the Lakers, if the Nets did that trade, they would be out of their mind. Anthony Davis plays what sixty games a year? Yeah, 
No, I I uh, I was thinking about it from a Lakers side. I wouldn't want that. <laughs> but but since you put it that way, yeah. I mean, and it and it seems like for the rest of their careers, LeBron and AD are going to be injured. You know, that it just happens. You know, and and their injuries are going to probably last a little bit longer than if they were twenty years old, twenty five years old. You know, that's just a reality right now. They're injury prone. Uh, just just this last time when he came when AD came back. Um, he he got out. He got injured like two games later or three games later. It was like it, it's like clockwork. So yeah, that wouldn't have been a smart move. Um, but I mean, what are you gonna do with Kyrie, man? I mean, is he gonna is he gonna be? You have to figure out if he's gonna even make trips. You know, if he's gonna show up for games, if, or is he gonna have a, a reason to not? You know, or, or just take personal leave or something like that. That is in his resume as well as his talent. So you have to be careful of that as well. If you're a team that's trading for him too. Uh, let's keep in mind he did win a championship with uh, with LeBron in Cleveland. Yeah, he definitely did, and and they were they were historically good. You know, but we also didn't want to play with them again after that for whatever reason. Uh, asked to get out of Cleveland. Um, I, I'm sure they have repaired that, that friendship, and yeah, I mean, but I, I, I just—it's it, just the uncertainty with him. When he's out there and he's engaged and he's playing and he's doing this thing, man, he's mesmerizing. He really is. He yep. has ability that other guys just don't have. But let's not forget, the Celtics kind of shut him down after that first game. Uh huh. No doubt and about it. that first game, and then after that, he was not really much of a factor. Otis, always good talking to you, my man. You stay safe. Thanks again. Always great, Howard. Thank you so much for having me on. All right, pal. Take it easy. He's Otis Livingston of Channel 2 in New York. I uh, I find it interesting that that somebody would even propose such a trade. I mean, that's, I think that's positively silly on on, uh, the Nets part. Why? I mean, Anthony Davis doesn't come doesn't come to play. He's always hurt. You want a guy for sixty games a year? What about the other twenty two? <laughs> I'm just saying out loud that yeah, the guy's a great player. There's no taking that away from him. However, uh, when when you look at at a guy that that plays at the level that he plays, yeah, you can be you know you can you can say okay, I like that. Hello, Hello Daryl. It's Daryl Slater of the Newark Star-Ledger. covers the Giants and the Jets. I'm sure you're aware of the fact the Giants have cut cornerback James Bradbury, which, and I understand the reasons why it was a cap move, but this is a thin area for the Giants, isn't it? To say the least. Certainly to say the least. And now they're counting on a Dory Jackson, who actually had a better season last year, uh, according to the metrics than James Bradbury. They're counting on him to be their number one corner. Now, course he had a really good season while going up against the not number one receiver for the other other teams generally so um we'll see how that shakes out of course the other cornerback spot is very much up in the air right now and um they had to do this though because they needed about 12 and a half million dollars in cap spaces here to pay their draft picks and um james bradbury's release frees up oh just about uh 10.1 million dollars in cap space and puts him at about 16 right now so they're still going to be pinched even when they pay their draft pick. So this is the Dave Gettleman uh, era coming home to roost uh, here for Joe Shane. Yeah, he kind of left his mark on it and for all the negative reasons, you know. <laughs> Very much so. I mean, you yeah. 
The ironic thing about this is that James Bradbury was one of his better signings, Dave Gettleman's better signings, but because of all the other um, bad signings that he had, Kenny Galladay, etc., um, Dave Gettleman not only left the Giants in bad cap situation for this year, but also remember he restructured a lot of contracts to free up cap space for last year to do things like give Leonard Williams probably more money than he deserves. Uh, and so James Bradbury was one of those contracts he reworked. So the whole thing was just between the restructures that Dave Gettleman did, the bad draft picks, of course, and just the straight up awful contracts like Galladay, um, they, that really overshadowed the good moves he made, signing uh, like signing James Bradbury. And now James Bradbury, who's still a pretty productive player, will be playing elsewhere and maybe in the NFC East, maybe for Washington or the Eagles. We'll see. Uh, that would be something. Yeah. If you remember, before the actual draft, it was announced that Daniel Jones's contract, the Giants were not going to pick up the fifth year of his contract. Uh, that 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 time has come and passed, but I'm wondering how it's come and passed in the mind of Daniel Jones. Is he angry about that? Is he bitter about that? Has he just ignored it, or has there been no comment from him at all? No, I mean he hasn't. I, I can't recall if he has spoken. I, I don't. I mean, honestly, quite frankly, that's how unmemorable of a quote. He's a very nice kid, but look, <laughs> that's how unmemorable he is as, as a quote. And I guess Eli Manning would be very proud of him. But I can't even recall if he's spoken on that yet. I, I don't think he has. But if, if he was angry or if he was bitter, he certainly wouldn't say that publicly. Uh, I, I don't I don't think he is. If he Look, if he's being pragmatic about it, he has to understand that this team cannot fully guarantee him 23 whatever million dollars for next year when he has not performed even by his own admission to the standards uh, of a franchise quarterback. So he understands the deal here. Uh this is a year where he can still wind up making the, the funny part about it is if he has a great year this year, uh, well, playing after they decline his fifth year option and playing in a quote unquote contract year, he could possibly make much more than he would have on the fifth year option. If he had just kind of been mediocre and then they had picked up the option because they might be in a position if he somehow lights it up that they have to franchise tag him for a 30 million dollar figure next uh next year in 2023 so that's the funny part about it like uh by being average to below average and then if he somehow pulls a rabbit out of his hat with a great year he could he could actually end up better off now of course that has to happen and we'll see if that can actually happen um Daryl, let's t- talk about the um, the NFC East. Uh, it seems that most people believe because of their success in the draft that the Philadelphia Eagles might be the team to beat in the division. Do you agree? I mean, obviously a lot depends on Jalen Hurts. I, I mean, because you look at the other two quarterbacks, and for all of Carson Wentz's flaws, he's accomplished more than Hurts has. Let's see if he can stay healthy. Uh, obviously, Dak Prescott, the best quarterback in the division. Um but look at look at offensively what the Eagles did. They were able to add, most notably, of course, AJ Brown, who's going to give you have to imagine give the Giants fits this year, and the other teams in the division, uh, and the Eagles, other opponents, of course. Uh, so I, I I do think as you look across the board in this division, the Eagles and the Cowboys are are, are the teams that surely are on top of the division. Um, and if you look at the receiver groups, just kind of going back to what we were talking about with the cornerbacks for the Giants. Terry McLaurin in Washington, A.J. Brown in Philly, uh, and then you have Michael Gallup and C.D. Lamb in Dallas. I mean, the Giants are going to have a really hard time 
defending some of these some of these teams is even in their own division in terms of some of the elite receivers they're going to have to face this year for a total of six of their 17 games within the division. Taking a bite of the Big Apple with Daryl Slater of the Newark Star-Ledger who covers the Giants and the Jets. The Giants, uh, the drafting of, of Kayvon Thibodeau has been probably the most notable because a lot of it has to do with his personality. Very outgoing. Uh, he can make a difference. He is, I think he's that kind of a player that can make a difference. Oh, no question. I mean, if, certainly they're going to be asking him to make a difference immediately considering their lack of edge rushing presence and production in recent years they've really whiffed on trying to put together a, a, a legitimate edge rushing duo now Aziz Ojolari showed some flashes of potential last year after being picked in the second round we'll see if he can build on that but you know you think about Lorenzo Carter O'Shane Zimenez they just have not the Giants have not been able to put up some consistent production there in terms of the edge outside linebacker spot so he looks like a certainly a guy who, who has the ability um to thrive immediately of course you know, there's guys every year who you look at and say, oh, you know, he's going to make a splash immediately, uh, high draft pick in the first round, and either it doesn't happen immediately or it doesn't happen at all. So potential is one thing, and he's got plenty of it. Uh, now let's see how he how he delivers in a defense. Remember that in Wink Martindale's system, they really want to blitz the heck out of opponents. That'll be fascinating to see because Wink Martindale has, it would seem, the pass rushers to be able to try to do that. But the problem is, can he trust his cornerbacks to leave them in man-to-man coverage, which is the other side of the coin when you want to blitz as often as he does? So we'll see if we'll see if his he can play his ideal way and, uh, with these pass rushers uh, when you know, considering how how much of an issue as we talked about earlier, the back end of this defense is. Meanwhile, uh, when when you look at the Jets and you look at their depth chart on both sides of the ball. There are going to be a lot of new names in starting spots come the beginning, come week one of the season. Now, we can't determine the success or failure of a draft for a year or two, but you get a pretty good idea as the season goes along. I mean, just as a case in point, you draft Garrett Wilson. Uh, you know, is Zach Wilson going to find him? Zach Wilson apparently has bulked up a little bit. Uh, so that's, I guess, is a good thing because it doesn't appear that it's affecting his throwing motion. So in addition to Garrett Wilson, I mean, you got Elijah Moore, you got Corey Davis, you got Berrios who you re-signed. All of a sudden, that wide receiver room, and oh, by the way, two new tight ends. You, I mean, what Joe Douglas did, he kept his word. He addressed issues and needs for his quarterback. Yep, for sure. I mean, the playmakers are there. For, for Zach Wilson, it was all about protection and playmakers. Uh, and that's been the issue, obviously, going back to Sam Darnold. But, but they did put Tyler Conklin and, uh, and CJ Uzama around him at tight end. Mm-hmm. They did draft Garrett Wilson at 10. And so they do have a nice trio of receivers, a nice duo of tight ends. And let's see if they can protect Zach Wilson. Of course, a lot of that's going to come down because because they didn't draft a left tackle. Um, yeah, a lot of that's going to come down to Mekhi Beck. Can he be either a reliable left or right tackle, depending on where George Fant plays? Can he be a start, a reliable consistently present and consistently healthy starting tackle on the NFL. If he can, and if George Fant can be as, uh, you know, steady and at times very good as he was last year, then then the Jets could be in pretty good shape offensively. But, uh, you know, a lot of it's going to come down to protection and, and, and Mekhi Becton and certainly at center what, what the Jets can get out of Connor McGovern, who had a little bit of a rebound year last year after not playing particularly well in the first year of his contract in 2020. So, um, 
all those factors will play in. They they they, yeah, they feel good about the guard spots. They could have one of the better guard duos in the league with Elijah Vera Tucker and Lincoln Tomlinson, who they signed in free agency. So right. it's it's the center and it's it's the other tackle spot that are going to be the issues. And uh, but otherwise, I think the Jets Jets fan has to be pretty pleased about this offense. Well, you look at the defense. Their first pick, the fourth overall, was was Sauce. Yeah. I want here's what I like you to do. First day of training camp with the fans in, in at the go up to any fan. And say, I dare you to tell me what Gardner's first name is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he, I mean, he's already, he's already, the guy hasn't played in the NFL yet. To his credit, he's established his brand. He's already getting the Madonna, the Prince treatment, the single name treatment, right? <laughs> Dak, right? All these guys you think of, and you think of one name, and it being their first name or their nickname. And um, he is, he has got that. He's got the attitude. He's got the swagger. He's got the presence. Um, and he, oh, by the way, he didn't allow a single touchdown in his entire college career. Granted, while playing, now he did. They did Cincinnati played some good teams. They also played some teams that were not even in the same like universe as an NFL team, given the fact that they played in the AAC. And so, uh, this this will be obviously obviously a step up for him as it is for any corner. And I think you know you look at historically the toughest positions to come in and start and thrive in the NFL. Cornerback uh, is one of them. Got to be right. I mean, rookie corners. I remember when D. Milner was drafted in, in thirteen. I did a big story on rookie cornerbacks and why it's so hard to thrive as a rookie cornerback in the NFL. And it's any number of things from the physicality and that corners are can play more physically in in college. They they cannot play as physically in the NFL. They have to be more technical. The hash marks are different. So all those things make the adjustment a really steep one for for rookie corners. Of course. I, you know, I, D. Milner's name is a dirty word to Jets fan. Ninth overall pick in thirteen, right. uh, and and they certainly hope almost ten years later and five spots higher that uh, Sauce Gardner turns out like the guy they drafted in the first round in '07, the the, the Revis fella. So uh, we'll see. Uh, he certainly got he, he certainly got the uh, the swagger. Taking a bite of the Big Apple with Daryl Slater of the Newark Star Ledger. Uh, you look at this Jets roster right now. Look when 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 the fourth pick came. I would not have been surprised if they took Thibodeau, who was then chosen by the Giants after the Jets took Gardner. Um, we'll see. Uh, and we know about how they traded back to get Johnson at, at, at edge rusher. Uh, that's going to be very interesting to see who has the better career early and then later on, you know, when years gone by, uh, Jermaine Johnson or Kayvon Thibodeau. Certainly, because Johnson, let's not forget, I mean, he was talked about as a potential top 10 pick. Right. He, 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 he fell way down to 26, and the Jets feel fortunate to have gotten them there. Now, I mean, the Jets look at their depth chart, and they say, we're getting Carl Lawson back from the Achilles, and if he can be the same guy he was in the preseason last year, that's a huge weapon. Um, and so maybe they thought they looked at it and thought, we don't need Kevin Thibodeau here because we have Lawson coming back. And John Franklin Myers, who is a pretty darn good uh, defensive end, will play opposite Lawson. I mean, at this point, uh, Jermaine Johnson is not necessarily a starter. I mean, he, he'll be maybe a nickel edge rusher to start out. Um, so I think when the Jets look at the combination of their pass rush that they have with uh, Lawson, with Franklin Myers, and, and with Johnson, the, the, you know, sort of a three-headed group there, plus Quinn and Williams pushing the pocket from the middle, they probably look at that and said, we feel good enough. And now, of course, they hadn't gotten Johnson at this point in the draft. We feel good enough where we're going to address number one corner right now. Um, 
just because if you look at the Jets' corners, I mean, the Giants had Dory Jackson, pretty good corner, right? So the Jets had nobody, right? Bryce Hall, Brandon Eccles, they had gone out already and replaced one of those guys with DJ Reed so in free agency. So clearly Joe Douglas was not happy uh, with his situation at corner. Uh, and so the, the, they've moved on completely from those two guys as starters. They'll go with Reed, they'll go with Gardner, and, and hope – that they can balance out the pass rush and the coverage in, in the most optimal way possible, given their resources. I'm not uh, about to start jumping up and down and saying, hey, the Jets are going to have a great defense. Let's consider where they were, and yeah. we'll see what the additions do to, to help them rise up from being down near the bottom of the NFL in terms of team defense. But at least the Jet fans have something. I mean, I was talking to a couple of Jet fans the other day. They're going gaga over this. Hey, guys. You're the same guys that were telling me a year or two ago that our defense stinks. Well, <laughs> you were right then, and now the question is, how much better will they be? We really don't know until we see them on the field. And Carl Lawson's the big one. I mean, obviously, I mentioned Gardner. You know, they're going to need to count on him a lot, right? So your linebackers are who your linebackers are at this point. It's a fairly steady C.J. Mosley at this point in his career. The other linebackers uh, in this 4-3 are, eh, you know, very much a mad group, right? So, like, your run defense is going to be a question mark unless Quentin Williams can just be a complete run stuffer in the middle. Um, but, yes, I think that the, the, all the Jeff fans are looking at this and they're saying, okay, with Gardner and Reed, there's no way they can be worse than what they had last year at corner. And with Lawson coming back, he certainly is going to give them more than the pass rush that they had last year, which was so little. Um, and so I mean, then they have to stop the run. They were so bad against the run last year, even with Quinn and Williams, who's a really good defensive tackle. Uh, it was just hard for them to overcome a lot of the inconsistencies they had against the run. So that is the big question mark for this defense. Can they stop the run? Um, that's got to be what's going to keep Robert Sala up at night because, you know, really he has nobody at outside, at, at inside linebacker uh, except uh, C.J. Mosley. When you talk about their 4-3, of course, you know, those they're all really kind of inside linebacker type guys. So uh, they're counting on Mosley to elevate, you know, their other guys, whoever they are going to wind up being at, 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 the, at the linebacker spot. So, yeah, sure, definite question. They, look, I think Jets fans, like – they should have be conditioned to have the very best cautious, cautious optimism by now. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, they have selective amnesia if, they, if they're yeah. like over the moon about the prop potential of their team. Within the division in the AFC East, we all know that Buffalo is not only the best team in the division, they may very well be the best team in the conference. And there's going to be some challenges. People have already are writing off Kansas City. I'm not. Yeah, they lost Tyreek Hill. I get that. But that doesn't mean that, that, that everything's going to fall apart because they lost a great receiver who, who was very productive. I'm still, you know, you got to show me. And I'm from Brooklyn, not Missouri. you got to show me that Tua is going to be as important to Tyreek Hill as, as Patrick Mahomes was. For sure. I, you know, I... I... I mean, obviously, there's no way that he's going to be as much of an asset. <laughs> that's a, that's really not fair to Tua, really, any quarterback. But Tua just needs to be uh, competent in his own right, and I think Hill should elevate him. But, uh, yeah, I think the Bills have every argument that they that they could be the team right there with the Chiefs now um, in terms of making that move to finally get to that next step and get to the Super Bowl and um, – 
and and boy, that would be a heck of a story if the Bills won the Super Bowl. And then so, yeah. but the, but I I think the Bills fan is is hopeful. But you know, it's been how many years now since they've even been to the Super Bowl? So they they you know they're they're conditioned to have cautious optimism at best too. And but the division is really fascinating this year. I I think it's one of the more fascinating divisions in the league. And they don't doesn't have the firepower of the AFC West. No, but the Jets got better. The Patriots are just a, are really interesting, just because like where where what's Mac Jones's year two going to look like, and, and is Bill Belichick uh, poised to make another push to at least contend to be in the AFC Championship game, and uh, the Dolphins what they did with Hill and and, and rebuilding their offense, and uh, that that makes them an intriguing story, and of course the Bills uh, being one of the better teams in the league or in the conference certainly in the league for the first time since the, like the '90s, mid '90s, consistently, right? So that that's a great story. I think the division is really, really interesting. The Bills are clearly the team to beat, but remember, you know, there's a third wild card, an extra wild card now mm-hmm. in both conferences, and so the, the other the other three teams should be in the conversation. I mean, I, I've said this. I, I think the reasonable expectation for the Jets is to be in the conversation after Halloween, mid-November, late November, be that team that's in, you know, in the hunt, at least when they show that graphic on the TV screen, uh, they can't, they have to be in that graphic. They can't be a team that's just totally out of it by Thanksgiving. Hey, Daryl, you know what? I've seen a lot of fans scratching their heads over the picks that the uh, New England Patriots made, but you just, oh, you got, we've seen this movie before. People question Belichick and then he, he comes up with a player that nobody thought about, and he, he, he turns out to be a meaningful contributor to the Patriot offense or defense, whichever that player is from. But having said that, uh, I, I want to see what Mac Jones is. I want to see what their running game is. I want to see what their defense Look, the defense is Belichick's strength. You have to believe they're going to be more than just competitive. Oh, for sure. Yeah, you know, I think that people look at what they did last year and they probably overachieved with uh, considering the fact that it was uh, it was Mac Jones' rookie year, um, and so the, you know they're looking they're looking for more here. You know, they're looking for that next step. Um, and you know, remember, I mean, even 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 Brady uh, t- took a couple of years, right? I mean, it's not you know he didn't start as a rookie. Didn't even play, right? I think he didn't play till one, you know, partway through oh one, or um, and so that would be his second year. And so the, Mac Jones is as as is the you know as is the practice now, just throwing up there immediately. Um, and he acquitted himself fairly well. I think a lot of people looked at that pick and thought, gee, you know, he wasn't supposed to be one of the better quarterbacks in in that rookie class last year, but he was probably the most productive. Now he went to a good situation, you know, it's the other guys and Trevor Lawrence. Zach Wilson, the pieces around them weren't as good, but uh, I think, but that's how you have to build when you have a rookie quarterback on an affordable contract, like the like the Jets do, like the Jaguars do, like the Patriots do. You have to be ready to put those pieces around him, and the, the Patriots did last year, uh, and you saw the Jaguars spend big this off season uh, because they're trying to maximize the, the rookie contract window of of Trevor Lawrence and. Um, now the Jets and the Jaguars are not Super Bowl contenders. The Patriots probably aren't either. But um, this is a stepping stone year, I think, for all those teams, uh, especially especially the Patriots. Obviously, given their history and given given Belichick's age, to see if they can make another run at this thing post Tom Brady. They're they're one of the more interesting stories in the league, yep. if only because of the Brady Belichick all that the history angle.
Yeah, we're talking, taking a bite of the Big Apple with Daryl Slater of the Newark Star-Ledger. I spoke to uh, Bill Parcells the other day. Usually I speak to him a couple of times a month, whether he's in Saratoga or in South Florida. Uh, we were talking about the draft, and he kept making references to the Giants' picks. And I said, what about the Jets' picks? Deep down in his heart, he still roots for the Giants because he's a Jersey oh, yeah. guy. We know that. And so I, I, I said, you know anything to say about the Jets? He goes, well, he said, you know, you know, you're certainly familiar. And I was broadcasting the games when he was the coach of the Jets. So we had a lot of conversations then, continue to have now. But he, uh, he thinks the Giants and the Jets, similar to what you were just talking about, seem to be pointed in the right direction after years of futility. Yeah, you know, I, I think as we've talked about on here, the the Jets, the Jets are a little farther along in the in this process because they they did a lot of the tear down already, um, and they're in year I guess three in terms of the the GM being having three full off seasons with Joe Douglas. The Giants are in the rip the bandaid off. Uh, portion of this rebuild and it's, it's just really hard to imagine them being competitive this year mm. uh the thing that plays in the giants favor and i think the op this will this could help them optics wise i was going through the schedule earlier and doing predictions even though the schedule is not out you know the opponents already i think you know this team could win six games they might win seven games and surprise people they have a really favorable schedule especially with some of their home games i mean they get the panthers at home they get they have to play the jaguar they, they play a road game against the Jaguars. That's a winnable road game, right? So they get the Panthers at home, the Bears at home, the Lions at home. They they play the Texans at home. The Giants play some bad teams at home uh, in games that they very much should be in contention to win, even though they themselves are not a good team. So, yes, the, the Giants are in the you know the infant stages of, of trying to rebuild this thing because of the mess that they've got on their left. So, um but if you look at the, if you, should they be four? No, I think if they're four and thirteen, it's a worse four and thirteen than last year. Mm-hmm. Because even though the roster is worse for the Giants, the schedule is is pretty darn easy. Um, so I think that by all rights, it's certainly possible for for Brian Dable to win six or seven games, which would get a lot of people on board with what he's doing. You know, even if most people look at it and say, who did you beat? Well, who cares? Because the Giants also are not a very good team. So they're not going to be they're not going to be picky about any win they can get this this year, nor should they be. Well, let me ask you this. You looked over the schedule. I'm sure you looked at the Jets opponents and who they have. Uh, what's what's reasonable in terms of expectations for this team? Yeah, no, I, I'm just trying to think I couldn't I, off the top of my head. I couldn't tell you every single Jet opponent, but but I think um there, there was a strength of schedule thing that the Giants website actually put this out. They put the data out for for strength of schedule based on what last season's records are. I think the Giants are 29th, so they have one of the easier schedules in the league. The Jets are sort of kind of mid pack, which is what you'd expect because they're you know they're always going to play when you're in last place. You play the last place team in the corresponding division, whatever, whatever. So the schedule is not daunting for the Jets. Um, yeah, I think the Jets should be a team that could be in the neighborhood of eight wins, right? That's not going to get you into the playoffs, eight wins, not even in the new schedule. And a bunch of nine and eight teams missed out on it this year. A couple nine, a couple nine and eight teams made it, but it's still to the point where you probably have to reach double-digit wins to make the playoffs, which is sort of kind of 
almost always the way it was in in the past. Unless you were in a bad division and the Jets aren't winning their division with a bad record this year, like the NFC East was a couple of years ago. So, look, I think the Jets. If the Jets go six wins or fewer, it's a disaster. Um, you know, I think you can make an argument that they're showing progress at seven and ten, but but still, I think you know this is a team that should be aiming to win seven, eight, maybe nine games. I, I don't think that's unreasonable. And now, if you miss the playoffs at eight, nine, or nine and eight, that's okay. But you can point to progress. If you miss the playoffs at seven and ten, sure, I think you can point to some progress there. Uh, this is a team, if they win six games, yeah, it's progress in the, in the numbers, but it's not it's not a good season. Six and 11 would not be a good season for this team. They, I think, they, need, they need to show more. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think uh, I, I went over the schedule in terms of who they play. Uh, I could see nine wins. I really can. Uh, maybe that's a reach, uh, but you stop and you look at outside the division when you have the NFC North, and you've got the uh, AFC North, and you, know, you got teams like Denver that, I mean, we're going to find out if Russell Wilson's enough to catapult Denver into to where they want to be. Uh, Seattle, you, you have to believe, is going to take a step backwards. Uh, at least I think so. I mean, you know, right now it's a guessing game, but it's kind of fun to speculate. Let me ask you, for, for the time you've been in this business, I don't want to pin you down to one. Give me a couple of people that you have interviewed that uh, either they're characters or they were memorable. Give me uh, one or two or even three people that you've interviewed that have stood out in your career. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, In terms of like the best quotes, uh, yeah, I mean, like I think – I I covered the – it's been since 2013 covering the Jets and Giants, so you're not – talking about a lot of like big time people but brandon marshall of course with the jets yeah th- that's really been the last time they were good I mean, fifth 2015 that was a really memorable year he's sort of a one-of-a-kind guy you know he he was certainly fascinating uh to talk to uh on so many levels and about more than just football so he would he would certainly be one and obviously a very successful player uh perhaps a borderline hall of famer uh, you know, Ed Reed was an interesting cat at that point in his career, very, mm-hmm. you know, ending his career with the Jets. I think it was 2013 or four, I think it was 14. Um, so he was, a, he was an interesting guy who had a lot of perspective at that point in his career. Um, you know, you think about the Giants, I, you know, I have only gone back a couple of years of them, so they haven't really had anyone super, super, uh, noteworthy, but, uh, you know, I, I think those two guys would definitely stand out. Um, uh, Revis, um, but you know, Revis didn't give you much. I mean, he was sort of a, he, he would quietly give you a few things in some perspective, but, um, you know, sort of kept to himself, but, uh, Brandon Marshall certainly at the top of that group, no doubt. Yeah. Good information. Appreciate it, Daryl. Appreciate your insight. Thanks for coming on. You stay safe. Thank you very much. Daryl Slater of the Newark Star Ledger. I think when you cover a beat and a lot of my friends are beat writers, I, I've never been in the trenches doing interviews, you know, in a pool of other reporters. Obviously, I've done a lot of interviews, but uh, certain guys you could poke a little bit and they would respond with something notable, either a quote, a thought, whatever. Uh, and then there was, no matter how much you poked them, they wouldn't say anything. And it was like pulling teeth. But, you know, you got a job to do. And you hope you're doing it the best you can. 
Thanks for being a part of Howard David Live. And a bite of the Big Apple, you stay safe. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.